Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Not to be too preachy about it, but I think sometimes people actually do have to leave, quote, Jerusalem in order to get to Jesus. I mean, I, 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 I functionally pastor a church, and yet as much as I have, I do believe in that there's a place for form, and I'm not against institutional structure and system. I do think that it's problematic that sometimes we think that God is kind of overly confined in those spaces and that actually uh, most people hit a place in their lives where they actually do need maybe to walk away from, from those spaces for a season, maybe even in order to have a, a real encounter with the divine. Yeah. Constructionist Podcast. I'm your host, John Williamson. And again, I'm coming to you from my living room in Columbus, Ohio. So uh, those of you who listened to last week's, or two weeks ago, I guess, we're bi-weekly, right? So I should know this by now. It's two, four years in, I should know when we released. But um, but anyway, uh, if you listened to the last episode, highly recommend it with Dr. Reverend Dr. Bruce Epperly, um, all about the pandemic and some healthy ways that we can um, continue to keep our, our, our mental and spiritual sanity um, in uncertain times and, and as we're self uh, isolating uh, to try to, to, to curb the, uh, the spread of the virus. So um, super, super helpful. We'll con- kind of continue the theme this week. And this is a guest that we is long overdue that we meant to have on years ago and just, just, just never happened. Um, you know, there's always guests that you, you want to have on and, and either you run out of time slots or um, you, you try to connect and, you, and you're trying to work out a time and it just never happens. And so um, so this is a guest that we've wanted to have on for a really long time. So super excited to have him on. And the, the way it came about is really kind of funny. And we talk about this story on the podcast, but, um, Adam was actually on vacation with his family at Disney world and was randomly in line to ride a star Wars ride and happened to look over. And there was a gentleman standing there who looked oddly familiar. And Adam thought to himself, how odd would that be? What are the odds that I would be standing next to Jonathan Martin? in line for this ride. And they kind of looked at each other, like they knew each other. And then I think Adam just kind of said, Jonathan. And he said, yeah. And he said, Adam from the deconstructionist. And he said, whoa. So <clears throat> turns out, uh, uh, you know, God, the universe uh, kind of puts people in the right place at the right time sometimes. And so uh, we reconnected and uh, got him on the podcast and was Super excited to have him on and, and talk to him. Like I said, long overdue. Um, Jonathan is is not only a, a pastor, but he's an author and a speaker. He's just got a gift uh, for speaking. And so he's got a podcast as well. So he's a podcaster. On top of that, the Zeitcast. Uh, can't recommend it enough. It's a, it's a really cool mix. Um, he he kind of does a little bit of everything. There's some uh, some some thoughts and messages on there that that he provides that uh, are almost like mini sermons. Um, he's got guests on there, of course, that he interviews, and he's done some really great material recently in regards to the pandemic. And so, some really useful stuff that we we talk about on the podcast. And um, 
like I said, can't recommend it enough. If you like what you hear today, go check out his podcast. Um, you know, it, it's fantastic. Um, he also has uh, some great books out. One of the books that, that I really highly recommend is his book, How to Survive a Shipwreck. Help is on the way and love is already here. Um, fantastic book. So go check it out. Um, and, uh, and again, um, thanks to all of you who continue to support us through this, this strange time. Um, you know, obviously a lot of states as of the time of this podcast are, are starting to reopen a, a lot of businesses and things. And so I know a lot of us who have been trying to be very careful, um, you know, are just kind of waiting and watching and, and following the statistics to see what kind of impact, uh, this has in the grand scheme of things. And, you know, if there's going to be a sudden surge in cases and related deaths, as a result or, or not, you know, and, and, and what the future is going to look like that, you know, it's so uncertain right now. So, so, um, so hopefully this is helpful. Um, I know for me personally, a lot of what I've attempted to do, uh, in my isolation and, uh, sheltering in place is, is really try to utilize this time to, to really connect deeply with the relationships around me. So whether that's family members or friends or people I just haven't talked to in a while, um, just cause I'm, you know, air, finger air quotes too busy or whatever. Um, I, I think we can all probably do a little bit better job, um, at, at really utilizing the time that we have. And so, uh, one of the things we talked about in last week's episode and we talk about again today, uh, is just this idea of, uh, the pandemic kind of forcing us into a situation where, you know, we, a lot of us, I know myself included, have kind of reevaluated the things that are most important uh, to me. And so for me, it's been uh, kind of a blessing in disguise from the perspective of really spending some, some really great quality time with my daughter that maybe I wouldn't ordinarily have necessarily had, you know, if I had all of the abilities to, to go out and do things like I, I normally do, you know, I do miss the zoo, taking her to the zoo, but, uh, all in good time. So, so, uh, hang in there, everybody, uh, stay safe. And, uh, hopefully we see this thing through sooner than later, but in the meanwhile, hopefully this is helpful. And, uh, if you like the music on today's podcast, this one actually comes courtesy of Natasha, my personal assistant. Uh, this is a friend of hers, uh, Cheyenne, and, uh, he provided music from his band for today's episode. Uh, and, so I, I always think that's cool and we can do that. So his band's name is Half-Light Music. And so if you like the music today, go check out the show notes for links to the artist's music where you can find it and go follow and support uh, him as well. So these artists are, are kind enough to let us use their music for free. And uh, we super appreciate that and try to support them the best we can. Also, I would be remiss if I didn't say, uh, go check out our website. Uh, www.thedeconstructionist.com. Um, that is where the, probably the best place to keep up on top of what we're up to. Uh, you can follow, uh, us on social media through there. You can link to our blog. We should have a new blog post out by our friend Clay, uh, as of last week, hopefully if I get it posted in time. Um, additionally, you can link to our web store. So if you want to snag a cool t-shirt, pint glass, coffee mug, whatever, um, you can get one through there. And then Patreon, of course, if you want to support us, support the podcast and all that we do, um, you can support us through there. We've got some cool packages on there, including the ever-popular book club, where we select a book that we send you each and every month. Uh, could be based on a guest that we've had on. Uh, could be just something that Adam and I are uh, possibly reading that we think is, is helpful. And so if you want to support us there, you can do so. And uh, one last thing. 
I, uh, I, I got called out, and rightfully so, that on the last podcast, I did not maintain uh, our signature trademark freaking in between the guest name. And I apologize, Bob Gray, you, wherever you are, you are completely correct, and I mean to rectify that situation immediately. Uh, how about right now? So, without further ado, Jonathan freaking Martin. I'm not reaching for my I'm not lost, I'm merely looking for my place Underneath the city sun all right, welcome to the Deconstructionist Podcast. I'm so excited. This is long overdue. Uh, welcome to the podcast, Jonathan Martin. Thank you so much. It, it's such an honor to be here. I, I love the podcast. So appreciate what y'all are doing. And long overdue is right. It just feels like we 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 need to connect. I want to have y'all back on the other direction. So just really is a thrill to to be here for sure. Well, well, I'll tell you what, this is, this is so important that Adam told me when I, when I talked to him recently that he would be willing to come out of pseudo retirement for that. So we just got to figure out how to, how to get, get the two of us from two different loca- locations uh, dialed in and we'll, we'll make it happen. So, <laughs> oh, Absolutely. If, it, if it'll bring him out of retirement, come on, yeah. whatever it takes. How can we not? I'm there. <laughs> yeah. It just, no, I, seriously. I, I finally got to so see him the other day for the first time in months. So it's, uh, you know, I miss, I miss my buddy. So, <laughs> well, I'm sure. yeah. So well, well, welcome. Uh, like I said, long overdue, uh, we've had you on the list, the short list for a long time and, and, uh, life just got away from us. And last year was a little crazy and we didn't do as many episodes as we wanted, but we finally got you here. And so, um, and what a weird time to have you on. So, the last episode, the one that'll come out right before this one, uh, it was all about the pandemic and faith in the time of a pandemic. And we talked about how this is just something that we've never seen before in our lifetime. Uh, and and uh, so talk about how, how you've been able to, uh, how your life has changed as a result and how your ministry has changed as a result of, of the current circumstances. Well, um, you know, it's been, as you said, you took a strange time to have a conversation. I feel like it's a strange time to do anything. Uh, but, you know, it, at the same time, I kind of feel like um, even before 2020 became all that it was, it's, it's you know, 2019 was a strange year. And I feel like, you know, I just had kind of, um, in early 2019, I'd relocated to Oklahoma City and... I wasn't sure if I had another anything remotely like a church planning venture in me, but, you know, would kind of bend back into that. And I think especially given a lot of the stuff happening faith wise and culturally and uh, I I don't know, it's just it's such an odd time to be kind of doing all that. So I actually feel like the last year, year and a half for me has been so odd and so unstable in some ways, exciting, but like super, super unstable that uh, there have been sometimes in the last couple of months where I've kind of felt like, wow, um, the rest of the world kind of feels more normal to me now. <laughs> like, this is more like where my equilibrium has been for a minute, you know, <laughs> so because I feel like I'm sort of living with, with the whole, with, with such kind of instability and that kind of thing. It's, it's, and I'm not trying not to make light of anything, but part of what's been really strange about it too, is like, 
Um, even our little community in Oklahoma City, in some ways, I feel like even with physical distance, I feel like has never been as intimate as it is right now. And people have stayed really connected with each other somehow. So, yeah, so 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 I don't know. It's like uh, to be a, uh, obviously there's a lot of anxiety and certainly I'm feeling that along with my friends. But at the same time, there's been um, th- there's kind of a weird sort of grace on it too but i think some of that for me has just been i think the fact that it is so unstable kind of gives people permission in some cases to be vulnerable in ways that they would not have been before because like we're on some level um we're we're frail all the time but uh i think people often don't give themselves permission to acknowledge it and now it sort of seems like collectively people have uh, have this sense that they're able to admit that to each other in some way. So that part, at least not trying to give some, you know, like easy silver lining or something, but I feel like there has been a kind of grace in that on some level. Yeah. It's, it's interesting in the last episode, I, you know, I talked about the fact that there has been, um, a strange, uh, silver lining to, to all of this. And in the sense that, you know, I, you're utilizing technology. Thank God for technology uh, to our to our benefit. You know, I've been chatting with a lot of friends and and even doing a lot of stuff for my day job. You know, for work through Zoom and Skype and things of that nature. And um, you know, scheduling even virtual happy hours. You know, with Adam. So you know, uh, just finding ways to to be more intentional about uh, the times that I meet with my friends, even virtually. Yeah. Yeah, and I think yeah, it's like go ahead, oh, go ahead, please. I'm sorry. Oh no, no, no. By all means. No, I was just agreeing. I think like something about that kind of like intentionality. It's sort of like because uh, I feel like a lot of what a lot of our lives before, it's like things just at the pace we love it can just be sort of unreflective in a way that uh, that things are not right now. So maybe that's part of it too. Is like we're. Uh, kind of forced to have to think about what we're doing in ways that we just don't always. Yeah, and, I, and I've found too, and I don't know if this is true for you as well. I know you're, you're, you know, you're with your parents right now, but I found that because I can't go anywhere, that the time that I'm spending with the people that I am, you know, surrounded by is is more more of a quality time and and definitely more intentional. And I've spent, I've had some really good moments with my daughter and, and just being able to hang out with her and, and spend some time with her. Of course, part of that was due to the fact that I was off work for three weeks, uh, <laughs> after I got sick, but, but still it was, it was this strange blessing in disguise where I was able to, uh, uh, to really, um, spend time with her in, in ways that maybe I wouldn't have before if we were running around doing errands and, you know, and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think like yeah, it definitely does feel like some sort of like uh, like there there has been a bit of a of a Sabbath, and I think even where that involves again the kind of anxiety. I think you know that idea of kind of having to take a a breath and therefore uh, being attentive to each other in ways that uh, we haven't maybe attended before. I do think you know that that, that there's real opportunity in all that. Yeah, and, and have you have you seen this uh, this strange byproduct? I, sh- I shouldn't say strange. It, I mean, to those of us who believe in climate change, it uh, is almost obvious. Uh, where they're showing, you see these pictures of places like L.A., where because there aren't cars on the road or as many, nearly as many, 
there's not as much smog. And there are these clear photos. You can see the mountains from, you know, from the city and all this stuff, whereas before you couldn't. And it's almost like, well, duh, like, <laughs> of course, human beings have an impact on the environment. And it's never been more obvious as it is now. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it does. It's yeah, it's it, it feels like in some ways it's like the earth itself was kind of hitting the reset button in some ways, you know, that, that it couldn't have happened any other way. So and, I, and I'm and I'm not somebody who necessarily thinks that there's some sort of direct that God somehow is causing all these things. But in terms of there being some sort of imitation of the spirit and all that, in some ways that, you know, because I do feel like it's it's kind of God's job description to bring beauty out of brokenness and in terms of what the spirit is doing in the midst of all those things, that sure seems like something that God would be doing in the midst of all this is kind of hitting that reset button in a way that we wouldn't, that we just wouldn't choose to do otherwise, you know, it's, it, it almost does have to be chosen for us. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things you and I were talking about before we started recording is just the, the aspect that I, I know myself and probably a lot of people didn't take into consideration before we went into this kind of lockdown is just the mental aspect of it and uh, the idea that you can't just go out to uh, a restaurant like you know like you normally do and you can't go out and enjoy a beer on a patio somewhere and you, there are a lot of things you can't do and you can't see your friends. I mean, I would love to see my parents. I would love to see my brother and my 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 newborn baby nephew and all that all that stuff and so the mental game aspect of it has been very very tough so what what are some of the things that you've found yourself doing to try to to center and and kind of quell the um the anxiety mm-hmm. well you know <laughs> that's such a good question i mean i think part of what's interesting about it is that um my you know my first thought is that not unlike other times in my life when I've been intentional to seek solitude where I've gone, you know, uh, like to a monastery to take a week or two for some kind of a silent retreat is that there was no kind of quelling anything at first. There was no, whatever it is that at first it just feels like your soul is throwing up. You know, it's like, you just don't know what to do. And I think like that you have to kind of have those days or weeks at first when it just feels like your soul is throwing up. Uh, because, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, their withdrawal is like very real and you kind of realize in a way that you wouldn't have to otherwise, um, your lack of rhythm and where you don't have these practices necessarily to sustain you that you need. So I definitely feel like, you know, I, there, there's been a lot of time spent with that first of realizing, oh, maybe some of these things weren't, uh, weren't quite as in place as, uh, as I thought. But I think in terms of like what has been sustaining me, I mean, you know, um, there's been a lot. I mean, it's, it's, I should maybe say this first. Um, there, there have been things sustaining me, but part of what's been kind of interesting is that I feel like, I don't know, I already was um, kind of doing a number of these things in digital spaces that I felt like part of my calling in the season has been to lean more into that. So I kind of feel like this time for me has been the opposite of like, Oh man, what do I do next? Do I play Jenga or Twister? Like I kind of feel like I've been in some ways more overcommitted and stretched a little thin than ever. Because, but, but in ways also I feel like are kind of, you know, good and right. And what I feel like I've been supposed to lean in in some ways. So, because I, I've, you know, I've found a lot of life in that. I think like in some ways it's, it's like, I feel like I've 
pastored more in this season than I have in a long time and oddly feel less lonely in that um, in terms of just kind of soul to soul connection, even if it's been online. I do think some of the practices that I've picked up more in like recent years that weren't things I grew up with in terms of, you know, Book of Common Prayer and just, you know, I, I, I found myself a lot in this season just returning to like the Jesus prayer and uh, just the gift of, you know, uh, of prayers that I don't have to make up as I go. Um, those have definitely been been helpful for me because I think especially like when I'm feeling super anxious, uh, trying to find the words for that is a real struggle. So just the Jesus prayer and the Lord's prayer and just real simple kind of basic liturgies like that, that I'll just kind of pray as natural as breathing through the day have been, have been really, really helpful for me. And again, that those kind of like real basic kind of sacramental type prayers are not things so much that were part of my, uh, scaffolding growing up, but, but feel really, really essential in a time like this. Oh, that's good. So speaking of, uh, of, of Jesus, (laughs) uh, you had a great podcast recently on your podcast that I highly recommend people go and check out. Uh, you had a friend on your guest was Malika Cox and she really just, I I found that she put my feelings into, into words very succinctly. And especially the part where she's talking about, um, the, the difference between the version of Jesus in the new Testament and the version of Jesus that a lot of American Christians, especially the ones that seem to be like denying that the pandemic is an issue at all, um, kind of represent. And, and she has this quote, and this is kind of like paraphrasing here, but she says something along the lines of, um, you know, stop calling your version of God, Jesus, and admit your God is really money and unbridled capitalism. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Malik is so good, isn't she? Like, she's one. I, I, I really, I feel so gifted. Like, there's all these like, just as I, we we joke about it, but badass women of God at the table. Like, they're just these great yes. preachers. Malika and CC both kind of burn it down in that way. Yeah, you know, it's like um, I I did love that quote and that whole idea because I think, um, and I do see that a lot right now. That it's sort of that you can worship almost anything and then sort of impose. Jesus language on it. And I do think that's part of what we see happening right now is just how much um, there are these economic realities that actually we trust as Lord, as God, that kind of override everything else for us. Any other kind of concern for our neighbors or, you know, for people who are vulnerable. And at the end of the day, it reveals who and what we really worship. But I think um, we're kind of just religious enough. And most of my life experience, or really, I'm sorry, really all my life experience has been between North Carolina and Oklahoma, which are kind of equally Bible belt in different ways. You know, we're going to still find a way to attach religious language to our value system, you know, we're still going to kind of baptize it. So I do feel like I see, I see a lot of that right now. Like we're still going to find a way to Christianize this language and, uh, still going to kind of, uh, impose Bible verses and that kind of thing. And, uh, but, but it, but, but in ways that are deeply, deeply unfaithful and, uh, while using the language of Jesus, we're actually, what we're actually engaging is is a kind of idolatry where this is very much a God of our own making and a God that we can control and a God that we can manipulate and who's subservient to us, not the other way around. 
Yeah. What What is your? I'm just curious. But what What is your sense in terms of uh, why why a, a certain subsection of Christianity, again, predominantly in in North America, uh, tend to uh, kind of view Jesus in in that way? Is it to justify? Do you feel like to justify kind of this love of of money? Uh, you know what 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 is your sense? Well, you know. I'm sure on some level that's true, but I guess if I wanted to give it a more empathetic reading, um, I, I think a lot of it really has to do with control. And I think that's the thing about money, right, is that, like, who doesn't want to be in control of their own lives? I mean, I, we um, – everybody wants to feel like um, – you know, I've been thinking a lot about how many things in my life – and I think that's part of what's so scary about a time like this. It's really easy to feel like we're in charge of our own little universe. If I get hot, I turn down the thermostat. If I'm cold, I turn it up. I'm, there's all these little knobs I'm able to turn. And social media and all of that, it, re- all, it all creates this illusion that I'm in charge of my own little universe. And then these things happen uh, where we realize how small and dependent we really, really are. And I think especially when it comes to like money, this is the easiest possible way for us to create a false sense of control over our lives. But, the, you know, the truth is it's always an illusion. We're never really in control. Uh, and it always is tragedy. It's always cancer, car accidents. It's always something uh, unexpected happening to someone that we love or to us uh, that brings us into you know, uh, and, uh, kind of this revelation of the real, uh, that we're, you know, the kind of we're, we're, that we're not in charge, but I really do think that's what drives a lot of this kind of economic idolatry is, you know, we're just desperately looking for handles because I, the truth is living from a place of dependence and trust, uh, especially following this God of the Exodus, who's always on the move, this very undestimate, undomesticated God. I mean, that's, that's scary. That's living uh, con- like like never having a sense of control. That's living never really able to feel like that we're uh, kind of have like a tightly ordered life. Which is which is what's so funny. I think is that I think a lot of people are given this idea of faith that um, you are going to have this very ordered, very controlled kind of life. When I think it really works opposite of that. I think you know most of the time, real faith in God doesn't offer a certainty. It's more like we're mostly certain about all the wrong things and what it looks like to become people of faith is letting go of all this certainty so we can actually learn how to trust, which is usually, I think, kind of the opposite of certainty. Yeah, it, it's it, it, what's interesting about that, too, is, is that um, it goes back to uh, where you just talked about this um, desire for control. And the more that we admit that God is a mystery, the less control we have over, you know, our idea of who God is. And that's, yes. it's scary, you know? So, I mean, I get that. Yes. So what, what, what part of that too is, cause we've, we've talked before about, um, part of the, the issue being that there's this sense of, uh, you know, being special of, of chosenness, you know, we're, we're unique. We're part of this, this select club, uh, that get in and, you know, we've got the right belief system. And so what, what part of it do you feel has to do, you know, really plays to that? In terms of having the right belief system or like just, just the sense of, uh, being the select few. (laughs) Well, 
you know, I think like that, man, I, I think those kind of, um, that kind of ideology is, um, is always going to have a sort of endless appeal to us because I don't know, like, how do we know that we're an us if we don't have a them? How do we know that we're insiders if there aren't outsiders? Like, I think ego-wise, like, we really, really need that. And, um, you know, I th- and, I, and I think it's, uh, you know, it's always, uh, it's always tempting. I think like that, um, I mean, I'm not trying to go super Girardian here, but I do think there, there's something to it that, like, the the moment so as we have an other that we're able to kind of put outside the community that 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 it comes it, it's such it's the easiest way sometimes I think to know who we are it's actually why I feel like you know politically and otherwise it actually is the easiest way to kind of generate energy around anything is anger and blame it's much harder to build something constructive you know than it is to um, to kind of feed off that sort of, uh, that, that, that kind of negative energy. So, you know, I do, I do think there's a lot of that and all the more, again, when people are anxious, when people really are afraid and, uh, then we are, it's, it's so easy to unite them around those, those kind of common fears and common anxieties. So I think especially in time, and that's actually, and I'm not, you know, going around just, just living in, just living in, in worry. But I do think that is what's uniquely scary to me about a time like this one is that all these anxieties are at the surface. And I think there are a lot of forces, <laughs> even whether you want to talk about sort of principalities of powers uh, or uh, people, leader or whatever, who would attempt to kind of play on those things in us rather than to kind of push them down. And I think in that way, you know, it really, it really is an especially volatile time. One of the things that I think is really interesting is is um, that I found some interesting practices that I uh, that I've gotten into now at home to kind of um, deal with the anxiety of of just the uncertainty that that we face right now. Like we were just talking about before we started recording, the fact that we we have no idea when life will get back to quote normal um, or when we'll be able to you know, even go out to a restaurant, for example, um, as we start to open up, um, almost assuredly there will be a spike in in cases and, uh, and unfortunately deaths as well. And, but part of this sheltering in place, the, the point of it was to buy the hospitals and, uh, you know, time essentially to, to prepare, you know, and be able to, to, uh, handle the amount of patients that, that will almost inevitably end up, uh, needing treatment. So, uh, one of the things that I thought was really helpful, um, you know, in my daily practice was meditation and, um, and just trying to center myself. Um, are there any practices that you engage in? I, I know you mentioned prayer. Um, are there any things, uh, like sticking to like a normal routine as much as possible? Um, anything in particular that's been helpful for you? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I really feel like those uh, handful of practices, uh, breath prayer has kind of been a part of it. I feel like trying to find a normal routine in the midst of it would be ideal, but just hasn't worked for me so much in the midst of all this because I feel like a certain amount of um, 
that I, I'm looking for that. I'm still trying to get there, kind of in the midst of these things. Uh, so I've, I've been less successful with that. Theoretically, that sounds that sounds great, to me, you know. But I'm not. I'm just not quite there yet. Yeah, that's okay. I barely know what day it is half the time now, so it's uh, it's gotten very strange. <laughs> Um, exactly. There's so like, uh, whenever people talk to them, like, yeah, I really should be doing better at that. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'm trying. I, I, I was telling, uh, telling, uh, one of my friends, I said, you know, I, one of the reasons I can't wait to get back to work, even though I'm literally just getting up out of bed and going over to my computer is that it's the only way that I know that I can keep track of like when m- Monday and Friday are, you know, like when the weekend right. is here. <laughs> so right. well, I hear you. Yeah. Um, so I don't <laughs> I don't know if you meant to do this, but in, in one of your recent episodes on your podcast, I just, I thought it was great. It, uh, I don't know if you intended on, on coming across like a sermon, but it, it preached so well <laughs> and it gave me a sense of comfort too. And, 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 and again, I don't know if you intended on it being, uh, kind of a source of hope in the time of, uh, uh, high anxiety or not, but that's, that's really what it did for me. And, and so you, it was the episode where you did the, um, uh, kind of like a sermon on uh, Jesus on the road to Damascus uh, and mm. not being in the temple and, and uh, appearing to the disciples. And I don't want you to recreate the whole thing, obviously, because I want people to go and listen to your podcast. But um, if you could, like, what's the summary version in your, and you had a point to make in there that I thought was, uh, was both interesting and extremely comforting. Well, um, first of all, I'm so thrilled that that was encouraging to you. That means so much for me. So thank you for that. I just, that text actually has been one that's most grounded me these last couple of years. I think about it all the time and, you know, there's a lot going on there, but the thing that I, that I, I just have not been able to get out of my mind, especially in a time where so many people that I know are losing faith or at least at minimum losing faith in the institutional church, forms of the institutional church, definitely unsure what to do with Jesus or if they have faith in God at all. It just, it, um, one day when I was reading that passage, I would just, just got hung up on this detail of the idea that when these two disciples are walking from Jerusalem to, uh, Emmaus, that especially like in Luke's, that, uh, that, that like in the gospel text there, that there, there must be something kind of more to that because, Jerusalem kind of being the center of the universe for all of these early Christians who don't yet really understand themselves to be proper Christians. I mean, they see themselves as part of a reform movement within Judaism that it, that where, where Jesus is their Messiah, he's the anointed one, but you know, see themselves as part of a, of a different religion and Jerusalem as kind of uh, where the temple is and Jerusalem as kind of the holy city and all that. It just, it strikes me that for them to leave Jerusalem, which was the sacred space for them, which now also is the place where they've seen Jesus tortured and killed. So what was uh, the safe space uh, now feels very unsafe, and this sacred space is is no longer safe for them anymore. So, so this idea of kind of Jerusalem to Emmaus as kind of a, a metaphor for, you know, walking away from God. And yet while they're ostensibly walking away from God, Jesus comes and walks alongside them in a form they don't recognize. And I just, for me, it's just like, it's it's a, it's a powerful image of the journey. So many of us are on that, like, even if we're walking away from God, what we have in Jesus is a God who walks alongside of us, whether or not 
uh, we're exactly inviting God. And I, and for me, and I'm not just trying to kind of put a spin on, on this. That's like hopeful, but that honestly is what I see. I feel like I, I, I see so many people who are deconstructing in some way, asking these hard questions on some kind of a journey that's painful, that's dark. It's that road, to use a phrase of Robert Bly's, of ashes, grief, and descent. But I actually see God all over it, like in, in, that, in the authenticity and in the pain and in the vulnerability of that. It's a very holy, sacred journey. Uh, it's a journey in the true self, and I, I don't know. I just see all kind. I see all kind of goodness and revelation that comes on on that kind of journey, and I actually think it's it's on that road um, where we're most likely to meet God. And and if I, and not to be too not to be too preachy about it, but I think sometimes people actually do have to leave quote Jerusalem in order to get to Jesus. I mean, I. I, 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 I functionally pastor a church, and yet as much as I have, I do believe in that there's a place for form, and I'm not against institutional structure and system. I do think that it's problematic that sometimes we think that God is kind of overly confined in those spaces, and that actually uh, most people hit a place in their lives where they actually do need maybe to walk away from from those spaces for a season, maybe even in order to have a, a real encounter with the divine. Ah, I love that. And it, it, it's funny because it makes me think of moments where, you know, I've been in church in the past in this beautiful building and there's great music being played and somebody says, oh man, I feel the spirit in this place. And I'm like, man, the spirit is everywhere. You know, like wh- where can you go where it doesn't exist? You know, That's- um, yeah, I, I just I just love your take on that because uh, I, you know I remember reading um, some Old Testament stuff and and just uh, just getting the sense for how important the temple was and how society functioned around the temple and the fact that they literally believed that God was present in the temple and so when the temple's destroyed, just how profound that was, and so to your point, walking away from that temple um, in, in a sense, walking away from God is just such a profound. Um, picture. And then, um, and the other, the other takeaway I, I, I had from that was just this idea that when so often when we are uh, so consumed in whatever we're dealing with in the moment, uh, we're not paying attention and we're not seeing God on the road or in the street. So I, I just, I just love that, man. That, I, I can't recommend that episode enough. <laughs> Oh, that's so kind, friend. Thank you. I'm so glad it was encouraged you. And that what you said that I just think about that all the time, like in the moment, because the you know the grief is so present, the pain is what's right in front of us, and because I really think that you know that so often in those places that are the most painful, uh, and I really don't mean this as some kind of preaching cliche or whatever, but I just think we're, but it's it's exactly what that story teaches, and I see this over and over again in the Gospels and certainly in the post-resurrection stories of Jesus. There's this idea that, you know, we think we need some kind of a miracle, we need God to do this or God to do that, when actually, um, I think so often what's needed is like, and I think it's why, like in John's Gospel, for example, you have all this imagery of blinded eyes being opened. It's, it's a shift in perspective to be able to see the ways in which God is at work already, and all of a sudden, when that moment comes, oh, you know, maybe um, the circumstances haven't changed, but all of a sudden we're able to see our lives and uh, the people around us and maybe even ourselves in the mirror from a radically different view. And I think, you know, it's in those moments that that's the kind of moment we need where we have that kind of revelatory 
clarity. And I, you know, and that's the kind of thing I, I hope for, pray for, for myself and my friends these days, you know, is less of the demonstrative, you know, God step in and do that. But more like, man, if I could just have the kind of vision and perspective to see what, what really is from a different point of view. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's interesting, too, because um, being present and in the moment is almost something that we've been forced into by way of, of quarantine and sheltering in place. And it's almost forced us to become more present and more mindful and more um, just here and present. Right. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. And then you connect that with that text. Yeah, it's like in a way that we're like maybe like forces us to have to see things that we wouldn't have otherwise seen any other way because there's just not hasn't been room uh, for that kind of intentional reflection. Oh, it's so true. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's someone very close to me who who uh, I, I won't I won't give a name um, just for for privacy's sake, but th- this person has really utilized this time uh, in quarantine and and with limited contact with others to really do some deep self reflection and some major life changes that uh, I, I think is going to result in just being an overall more satisfied and happy person and and just it's been exciting to see so. There, there wow. are some silver linings here, you know. <laughs> beautiful. That's yeah. really beautiful. So, all right. So, I got to ask you because in that episode, you touch on it, you tease it, but you don't go. You, you even said you're like, "Well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go too deep here, but I, I want you to go deep." You ready? <laughs> okay, you, I'm ready. All right. You touch on why God and Jesus had to suffer on the cross. So, you talk about the. Oh. the yeah, the meaning of the cross, and and I'm always interested. Um, we've done we did a series in the past, probably gosh, like three years ago now. Um, just what what is the meaning of the cross? Because I know a lot of us have have really um, gone deep into uh, you know the the more you know the more prevalent um, you know theory you know the uh, substitutionary atonement theories and and. And what does it mean? Did God really have to, or Jesus really have to die on the cross to, uh, you know, essentially pay for a debt that we had accrued through sin? Like, how, how do you see it? Mm. Well, <laughs> in 30 seconds, I can tell you. <laughs> no, I'm, <laughs> nice. <laughs> just, you know, we just uh, actually recently uh, at the table in Oklahoma City, we had uh, and sorry for the barking. <laughs> we, did, uh, we had uh, we, we had uh, Brad Jerzak, my friend, and to do a whole weekend on hell, judgment, and atonement. Oh, uh, that nice. was really fun. We just kind of went in depth on some of these things. You know, I mean, on the one hand, I certainly think the the, the cross is about so many things, and you know, while I would be probably pretty quick to say I would reject most any form of penal substitutionary atonement that I heard kind of growing up. And in all, and in all fairness, basically most any version I'm going to hear in almost any pulpit now, I mean, like when I hear uh, someone like Fleming Rutledge or N.T. Wright mm-hmm. talk about a kind of substitutionary, substitutionary atonement, I'll kind of say like, 
well, okay, uh, that is elegant and also not what I'm going to hear in almost any pulpit when people use these words about it. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, <laughs> I think there are probably better ways of speaking about it. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think the cross means um, – I think it certainly means a lot of things, but I think I'm much more of the persuasion at this point. You know, at its most simple, because I think about this all the time, how, you know, since Acts is a continuation of, of Luke, I mean, we have this these accounts like, you know, uh, Peter's preaching after the day of Pentecost, and it's basically like, hey, God sent you Jesus. Y'all killed him. God's raised him from the dead. Uh, repent and believe. And there's not this whole atonement theology to it. I think the idea is very much, you know, like God, God sends us Jesus. We reject the son of love. We crucify him. God overcomes, um, our torture and crucifixion of the son of love with, with resurrection. So, you know, I do think that like, uh, like in the, in the cross of Jesus in the suffering of Jesus, we see the depth of God's love for us. We see God identifying with us and, our own suffering and our brokenness. But in terms of any version of this idea of like somehow God, the father requiring this of God, the son to somehow legally or forensically fulfill some kind of justice. I, that, that, I definitely don't believe anything like that. It's interesting too because I think I think a lot of folks, uh, especially born and raised uh, in the United States of America, predominantly, uh, I just kind of assume that things like penal substitutionary atonement theory and the way that we view hell, for example, uh, that these these particular points of view have been around for forever since the beginning of Christianity, and and that's not the case, right. That's exactly right. You know, yeah, it's it, it, they really have not been. I think that that's that's part of what's so unfortunate to me is that these things become synonymous for people with like the with the phrase the gospel itself in a way that I just think is so is so unfortunate. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, to me, in the, even in the earliest texts that we have, and I really don't think I, I know, know that um, Paul is often really what we're talking about here. And but I think even the way that Paul is understood, you know, often even what's at stake is really how. Um, some of the early Protestant reformers understood Paul, not Paul himself. Uh, you know, so I don't know. I just think the gospel, at its most, um, in, in its purest form, is something way more simple and way more beautiful than we've made it out to be. And you know, I mean, we see we see God forgiving people long before the cross, and we see Jesus forgiving people. So the idea is like that some sort of legal loophole had to be worked out in order for God the Father to be able to forgive anybody. I mean, I just, um, that, that's, I just, I just don't think that's what's going, that's what's going on in, in the story at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting too, because you have conversations or at least in my, in my experience, you, you if you have a conversation with somebody who, who is fully, uh, fully believes in penal substitutionary atonement theory, um, you know, they're like, well, if, if Jesus didn't die, for our sins, it didn't have to die essentially for our sins. Then what's the point? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. Right. Which is you know, and that's yo, and I right, and I'm thinking now about what I said in the message because it talks about I think even in that Luke text, 
there is a kind of necessary suffering, and that's part of what makes it so interesting. I do think there's a kind of necessity to the cross, but just not in the way that those folks mean. Not because, like, somehow uh, that God before time, uh, you know, because he, he works out the game of chess. I don't think it's like that. I think it's much more kind of the sense that there's a sort of inevitability, just like in the book of Genesis. We know that from when God first says, don't eat from that tree. You know they're going to eat from that tree because that's yeah. that's where the story is going to go. You know, there's a kind of inevitability that um, as people always go against, and we're still doing it now, always go against the warning of the of the prophets. And we always insist on greed and violence over and against these certain kind of warnings. There, I think there was a kind of inevitability to the cross of Jesus, but I don't think it's— I don't think it's what people mean in the sense that, like, God the Father preordained it and there's no other way that people said. I don't, I don't think it works out quite that way. There, there is an, a kind of inevitability that there is no other path to salvation but the path of suffering. And so even when Jesus tells us, you know, it's, I mean, the idea is not like, hey, you know, well, Jesus suffered on the cross, so now none of us will ever have to. No, the idea is take up your cross and follow me. So I think, like, the path of following Jesus is always one that's going to involve suffering, and any path towards transformation involves suffering. So inevitability, yes, but there's such a difference between the kind of inevitability of suffering and even the redemptive nature of that kind of inevitable suffering and the idea that somehow— uh, that, that God, this is the only way that God could. Those are two very different ways of, of looking at the cross. Yeah, yeah. The, the sense I always got was just, you know, God loves his creation so much. And, the, you know, it to me, it all comes back to the gift of free will and the fact that God is even willing to go so far as to allow his creation uh, to engage in violence and just, you know, essentially kill God. The idea that God could, you know, there's so many instances within the Bible, uh, even within creation, is that all of these other religions, uh, God, their gods engage in uh, creation through, by way of violence. And I even see that in, in the story of Jesus on the cross, where God could easily come down and smite everybody who's trying to execute Jesus and, and save him and free him. And yet, uh, God does not react, does not uh, react to violence with, with violence. That's right. That's right. Well, and I mean, you know, now the way I see it, I mean, it's so evident in the story from the beginning. I mean, I think that's so much of the point of the Abraham and Isaac narrative, you know, is that this God, yes. unlike the competition, does not require human sacrifice right. <laughs> in order to be saved in some way. That's, I think that's there from the beginning of the story is that we're supposed to know this God is not like that. Ah, amen. Yeah, there's so many examples. It's it's really interesting. Um, so uh, talk about. Uh, I think the where I want to kind of kind of leave this here is I want I want you to to talk about the table. I, I love the story about how you came up with the name first of all, and uh, just talk about what, what what is the table. What are you guys up to out there in in Oklahoma? Well, you know we're we're still figuring out. In a lot of ways. I mean, we just started Easter 2019, and it's such an interesting time to do that, you know, because um, as you might imagine, Oklahoma City is a very uh, church city, and uh, so I don't know, but at the same time, it's like it's also a place just like anywhere else where a lot of people then are 
on kind of a journey of deconstruction or whatever language you want to use, maybe a little bit later than other parts of the country, but they're on that kind of journey. So it's interesting because on the one hand, I feel like um, it, it, it sometimes feel like uh, does feel like some of the things that we're trying to do do feel like we're pushing uphill culturally in some ways, mm. but another makes it feel like uh, it feels like what we're doing is all the more important, maybe all the more needed for that reason. So, um, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like what we're doing is anything fancy. I mean, like at our weekly gatherings, I mean, we are very table centric and, you know, um, we typically preach from the lectionary and, you know, we, there is this wonderful kind of rotation of, of preachers and, you know, kind of gently liturgical. I, I would, uh, I, I would still call us kind of, you know, Pentecostal in our way too. And that there is, uh, kind of, uh, this understanding of just kind of the dynamic work of the spirit, but not in a way that's, I don't know, that I think would freak anybody out. So, you know, we're trying to kind of these things to hold these things together. And, um, it's interesting when you are kind of a non-denominational expression, which I don't even know if I exactly, believe in, but I don't know quite where, where we belong, uh, either. So, uh, so yeah, it's been, it's just been like a really, it's been a really beautiful experiment and we're having a great time. It's a really lovely, lovely group of people. What's interesting. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but, uh, Robin, Robin Myers, um, has a, uh, has a church out that way. And, uh, just was in a documentary where they're just talking about how, they have a very, um, again, for lack of a better word, progressive church in one of the reddest states in the country, and just how interesting uh, that has been over the last thirty years. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And we need to connect definitely. I mean, I again haven't been there like too long, but yeah, it's 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 it's, it's Oklahoma is an interesting place, and it's an interesting time to to be there. I mean, I think like we're, I mean, like CC Jones Davis, our teaching pastor, for example is one of the leading figures in the state, really, in doing this work against the death penalty. I mean, I think like a lot of ways in a place like where we live, that's uh, not exactly wildly popular in yeah. a place like Oklahoma. At the same time, I think that witness is really important. And we definitely are seeing ways where that's kind of catching fire. You know, Cece, um, there's a particular man named Julius Jones who's been on death row for 20 years and um, uh, really has gone through the entire appeals process. So we're afraid um, would be sentenced to a date sometime in the next six months to a year. So it's just been wild even that as we've been doing a lot of prayer and uh, kind of activism around that, how that just kind of on fire and basically through CC's work. Now we've got, you know, seen people like Kim Kardashian and uh, John legend and other people tweeting about it and all that. And it's crazy. Wow. Like, you know, from, from Oklahoma, you know, but that's yeah. just been because, People like Cece have uh, have really just been knocking on doors, you know, all this time. So, you know, we definitely are seeing signs of life and uh, where people are open. And but, you know, I, I will tell you this, um, something that is painful and that even though even seeing the signs of life, it always kind of makes my head hurt a little bit is that Oklahoma has the highest incarceration rate in the United States, which means it's the highest incarceration rate in the world, highest incarceration rate of women in the world, uh, like one in every 15 black men in Oklahoma are in prison. Like there's just all these things. And what's so hard about all these things you see about Oklahoma being so low in, in education, et cetera, is that it, it seems that there's not an indirect relationship between how, between how devout people are in Oklahoma and the systems. It seems to be pretty direct. It's almost like 
because Oklahoma is kind of mecca for prosperity theology, mm. that these things are very connected. Like there's this idea that, hey, you know, if um, if things are going well, uh, then it's because you've done the right things and God is blessing you. But if you are poor, if you are in prison, uh, if you're, you know, your lot in life is not good, well, it's kind of, you, you know, your own fault. It, and and this is, so it's just kind of interesting to see how that seems to be embodied even within our legal system there. And, and that it's precisely because of people's faith, not like despite of it, but because. Yeah, yeah. What, one, one other thing I did want to ask you about, uh, and, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, I, but I, I swear I saw a story about uh, you getting into some trouble at, <laughs> at uh, Liberty University. Is that, am I, am I, <laughs> was I reading that correct? <laughs> well, what, what I wanted to ask you to, you know, in, in, in all seriousness, though, what, what I wanted to ask you, though, what I think is really remarkable um, about that, uh, and, and I'd love for you to expand on and tell a little bit more about the story, obviously, so people know what we're talking about. But um, folks like you and, and like Shane Claiborne and, uh, you know, people like that have have taken what I consider a very soft approach to, to people who theologically, politically, we might be polar opposites with um, – it seems to me that that is, is the is the best approach uh, when approaching brothers and sisters who who maybe don't align with us uh, religiously, you know, spiritually, uh, et cetera. And so, talk about like what what has the the approach been, and um, and what has like what what's it like when you're on the ground? Like, are people receptive? Just talk a little bit about that. Well, um, you know, I just I. I really appreciate you um, calling it a soft approach because honestly, that really I really strive to be tender and to stay tender and to stay open. And because you know, it, it, if it's all possible, I always want to. I, I'd way rather people be able to go on a journey if they can. I think as polarized as things are right now. Uh, politically and culturally, that's becoming increasingly difficult to do. And there's definitely spaces where I feel like I've sort of been branded as a kind of radical. I'm always, I always think it's a little comic because I just, I just don't think I am. I, I mean, I almost, uh, you know, uh, wish that I was. I don't think I have the courage to be all that radical. And I mean, because, because even like the liberty thing, I didn't, I, I was aspiring to much of anything, you know, uh, the, I mean, the, the, the shortest version of the story is that Jerry Falwell Jr. Um, and obviously so much of that, that's all been very public, uh, the ways that he supported president Trump, but he specifically had done an, um, an exclusive interview with Breitbart, uh, no comment on that, where right. he had talked about how during midterms, how evangelicals should partner with Steve Bannon. Cause Bannon was kind of at that point, more of a kind of as a strategist, how they should partner with Bannon to oust the fake Republicans and uh, from office. And the idea of like this explicit call for Christians to partner with Steve Bannon, who's for me an open white supremacist just made my brain catch on fire. So I went on a rant about it on Twitter because I know people in and around Liberty and I know that doesn't represent how they feel about any of this. And I just kind of said something really um, that would kind of off the cuff, like that I'd be love to be part of some sort of peaceful prayer-oriented action for people who would be involved. I started hearing from other people who want to do the same. And um, my friends, Johnny Swim, uh, Abner and Amanda, um, who are in this band, Johnny Swim, were playing at Liberty the next week, and Amanda had ex- said nice things about uh, kind of supporting what I said on Twitter. So long story short, 
uh, they invited me to come to the show. And I went there not to do any kind of protest or whatever, but basically just to uh, kind of go to the show. And I was going to have a small prayer gathering with about 20 people I'd have been in touch with to try to figure out what something we might do like in the spring. We were looking at like, you know, four or five months out. And um, funny enough, I initially thought it would have to be off campus anyway. Uh, but some of the people I'd been talked to thought that so long as we weren't in a building, like if we were just kind of on the quad um, the next morning, that that wouldn't be that it wouldn't be like any kind of a problem. So, OK, well, at any rate, it's the night before at the show, which is open to the public. I mean, this isn't like Liberty Convocation or something. And uh, I was back in the green room with Abner and Amanda when uh, the chief of campus police comes and taps me on the shoulder, asks me to step outside where they have other, like, armed Uh Liberty police. And they (laughs) escort me to my car, tell me, you know, I mean, like, I mean, it was very demonstrative, like this whole, like, you know, banning me for life, told me if I ever stepped foot on campus, I'd be subject to like jail and fines and, you know, just this very demonstrative thing. So what was so, what was so crazy about it is that I I sincerely, when I went, um, you know, the idea is that we were going to pray and talk and figure out next steps, but I was not, I just don't think I'm a fly big enough for Jerry Falwell Jr. to, um, to, to swat at because he, um, (laughs) <laughs> like the president that he so admires is kind of a thin skinned authoritarian. He so overswings at things. And that is what made that into a story, you know, <laughs> on our news week, you know, all the way down the line is because that, you know, turned, so, so it, it, I just, I never would have imagined it turned into a way bigger thing than I could have anticipated. I thought, you know, I was going to be praying with like, you know, 20 kids and a couple professors. So yeah, <laughs> It was really, really interesting. But even in all that, you know, I really tried to keep my tone soft. Like it was never like, and even this stuff I was saying to and about President Falwell, I really tried to not make it like character attacks. And funny enough, unless something's changed, he's famous for blocking everybody on Twitter. I don't know if he's me yet because I I, I just kept it real. Like I would like really trying hard to not go after his character. I was trying to be very explicit about here are the things that Jerry Falwell Jr. is saying and doing. And here's how I don't think this is consistent with like a, like a Christian ethic, but I, you know, I'm not calling him a dumbass or like, whatever you know what I'm saying? Like, here's what I think is the way of the kingdom. And here's why, how I don't think this is the way of the kingdom. I'm not trying to like, you know, just like drag him or whatever. Yeah. But it, it, it's funny because that, well, not funny really, but it's kind of sad actually the the times that we live in where you can't even have a conversation you know, Adam and I talk about this all the time about how social media is just such an, a dark place half the time, like Twitter and Facebook. And it's not about, you know, people kind of frame it in a, in a way where they say like, hey, let's have a conversation or discussion about this topic. But really, it's never it's never that. It's just people screaming their opinions at each other. And, you know, there's there's no, you know, there's no peaceful dialogue that occurs um, on social media, much less you know, in person, like those conversations, those conversations, especially like when you go to a campus like that, don't even seem to occur. You know, you're, you're getting booted before there's a, a chance to even sit down and, you know, break bread together, so to speak. It's so, it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. And I don't, and I never know the best way to engage it. I definitely have to take breaks from it. I'm probably not as engaged as I used to be. I can tell you at this point, like without trying to be rude or something like I'm sort of um, 
I think I, I, I try to have a decent kind of, um, I don't know, in terms of like kind of a smell test that if I feel like people are asking genuine questions or, or just even open to like real dialogue, um, I want to always be open to engage. But in terms of like trolls and people like whatever, I just don't, I don't take any time with any of that anymore because there's, there's so much that's gross, a lot of harassment, a lot of, and you know, and, and quite honestly, since we're talking about that, I mean, like Jerry Falwell Jr. does it himself. That's part of what's so ironic about a situation like that is that, I mean, I, I feel like from his public Twitter account, I mean, that he harasses and bullies. I mean, I just think, and a lot of that is considered, I mean, that is somewhat the kind of leadership we're under nationally. A lot of that's considered pretty acceptable in ways right now that I think make everything feel extra volatile and unstable. So, uh, you know, I'm always kind of, um, it, it, it makes my whole life feel so strange right now because I feel like I'm in those spaces and I'm supposed to be in those spaces. And half the time I think all this is toxic and we're destroying ourselves with this technology, you know? So yeah. what a weird thing to hold together. I'm like, this is terrible for us. I don't <laughs> want to do any of it. And yet I feel like I'm kind of supposed to be out here too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Adam, Adam, uh, straight up just refuses to join Facebook. So any, anybody who's ever emailed us on Facebook, you're always getting me. I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, Facebook is like, is a den of iniquity. It is yes. just like, I, um, I, I'm t- the, the sheer amount of, like I joke about, I, I technically have a presence there, but the sheer amount of misinformation and that's unpoliced. And I think the fact that like, and it, it's just more vicious for whatever the reason it is absolutely the platform in which like something where that might, I might get grazed for on Twitter, untouched on Instagram on Facebook would be a bloodbath. That's the rule. Yes. So, <laughs> I just, you know, I've, I, we, I think we've both gotten to the point where, you know, well, like I said, I'm the one who, who uh, kind of mans the the Facebook, but uh, I've gotten to the point now where, you know, I'll post like new episodes and I'll respond to messages and that's about it, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. D- don't engage and, and Twitter kind of the same thing, you know, like we've gotten to the point where uh, we'll do a similar thing, kind of the smell test to see, is this person genuinely trying to start a, a fruitful conversation here or is this just, you know going to turn out ugly. And, and so you, you kind of pick and choose which ones you respond to just, you know, for peace of mind, I think. <laughs> and, and you do have to kind of like protect yourself, have some kind of boundaries in that way. And I don't know what the barrier is because I don't want to leave like, you know, um, uh, friends, especially like people of color and people who are marginalized, like out there to kind of do the work on their own. But at the same time, man, I mean, like there's stuff I tell everybody I know, like when things get vicious and you need to take a step back, especially when things like get abusive, like I don't think anybody needs to do that. But I do joke with friends sometimes that like Facebook's the one place in the universe that I believe that God is not. Like Jesus descended into hell and all that, but I'm not like I'm not sure. I'm not sure about Facebook. Like this might be the one place where the reign of God is is not present. <laughs> yeah. I think. I think the the one reason I stay on Twitter is there's a uh, there's a, an account God has an account on Twitter and I don't know if you've seen it but it's uh it's run by a comedian and it's just it, obviously a parody but it's just hilarious and um you know yeah so I follow that to see what God has to say today but um beyond that obedient yeah exactly <laughs> Um, how can you not follow God on Twitter? Come yeah, on. <laughs> seems almost sinful not to, you know, uh, oh man. But yeah, I just, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to point out that I, I really appreciate, uh, your approach. Um, you guys like you and, and like I said, uh, Shane Claiborne and folks who, 
really just kind of stay above the fray and, and try to maintain that, that gentle approach. Cause I, I just, Adam and I talk about this all the time. Uh, there are, there's a contingency it seems within, um, again, lack of a better word, progressive Christianity. I, I don't love that title, but it, you know, most people know what you're talking about when you, when you use that word. So, but there seems to be a contingency within the progressive wing uh, of Christianity where, uh, some are, are very gracious, and then the other side of it is are people who are almost behaving in the same way that the conservative side uh, behaves, and we complain about, you know. And, and so we're yeah. behaving in, in much the same way. It's just a new form of fundamentalism, just on the opposite end of the spectrum. I really do believe that, and without, I, I, I don't mean to make this sound hyper charismatic or necessarily use this in the most charismatic sense of the of the word. But it's almost like if you close your eyes, the spirit of that is precisely the same. It really is. It's yes. the same disposition. It's the same energy, and 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 um, you feel paranoid that you're going to say or do the wrong thing. You know that you know the slightest uh, misstep, and you'll be excluded, and you'd be shamed, and you'd be like run out of town and that kind of stuff. And I just, good gracious, I feel like I've come way too far from other kind of toxic uh, ideas about God and toxic belief systems to perpetuate that other kind of thing. Now it's just, it's not life giving. And what I've, and that, that's my yes. biggest thing is like that from a place of judgment or criticism. It's more like I've just seen where people, especially when they come out of places where their souls already been battered and they're fragile, like that doesn't, there's not unconditional love there. There's nothing that nurtures. There's nothing that like fathers or mothers like that. Just man, it just wears people down. I think what happens is there's nothing wrong. Like anger can be healthy. Rage can be healthy. Like it can get you out of the driveway. But if all you have is like, is just a steady diet of that at a certain point, you just kind of flame out and, and there's just, there's just nowhere constructive to go. And, and so that's my kind of sense of where like for folks kind of in that space of just trying to gently steer them towards something that's more constructive. And Hey, look, like, even if you're not into Jesus, like, okay. Uh, if you want to be an atheist, like, okay. But it's like, but still at some point there comes a place in time where we need to start to build something, find some kind of community that's built around, um, something other than like shared grievance. You know, that's, that's, that's really important. Yeah. Yeah. It just seems, it, it just seems that there are so many who just engage in this dialogue that just seems like it's just, uh, full of vitriol and, and anger. And it's like, you, you see these Twitter battles happening where, uh, progressive folks are responding to something that like John Piper says, and it's like, come on, we know John Piper's always going to tweet things that are very unhelpful, you know, and, but, but no one's ever been converted to your way of thinking by watching you duke it out on, on Twitter. It just, that's never happened. That's right. <laughs> I, no, it, it's it, like it's funny. I, I haven't talked about this in so long, but it, it, in this context, like we're on the same page, it's actually really fun for me. Like, because my deal is like, okay, now I will admit the one like Piper tweet, the whole like, you know, I wake up every morning with the devil sitting on my face. I do wake up at three in the morning, and I and I snicker and maybe and laugh. <laughs> Great, yeah. but in terms of, I'm like, why on earth at this point in my life do I need to take the time and energy to like um, 
Correct, a John Piper tweet. Right. No one who knows anything about my life or work is is confused right. about the, my technology being anything like John Piper. When Pat Robertson gets on the Seven Hundred Club and says something ridiculous, why on earth? You know, and you know, like everybody has a crazy great uncle in their family. Doesn't mean they're not you know like family anymore. But like, what? I, I don't think it's on me anymore to need to like clarify that I don't think the same thing as Pat Robertson. To me, it just feels like a waste of energy. So my deal with that stuff anymore is I just kind of find it boring. I don't want to, I'm yes. not going to dump on every gospel coalition that com- article that comes out. It's like, who the hell thinks that I have anything in common with anyone in the gospel coalition? You know? Yeah. So. And you already know what I'm going to say, you know, it's going to be whatever the opposite of that is. So, you know? right. yeah. Right. Oh man. So any, any, uh, I guess any last words of, of, uh, because I, I think I think the mission of of this podcast and the and the prior one is just to I guess give some give folks a sense of uh, hope in a time of of high anxiety and and so any any last uh, any last thoughts or words of uh, uh, of hope for for folks out there. Well, yeah, you know, um, I think as we were talking a little bit, you know, since you asked me specifically about the whole Emmaus Road talk and about that. That journey, I think if anything, I would just want to encourage people because uh, I think especially in a time in which the future is so unsteady and unknowable. And, uh, you know, I think everybody right now has questions that they just can't know. I mean, like right now, it's 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 impossible to make plans for like August or September. I mean, that's that is anxiety inducing when you feel like you can't. You know, uh, you, you have no idea what's coming, even like a, a couple turns ahead. So, I, you know, I would just want to just encourage folks. I just keep thinking so much about this idea uh, that Jesus really is walking with you exactly where you are. And this idea of where is God on the road that you're walking now? Um, if, if the future isn't knowable and there is no way to figure it all out and we really aren't in control, you know, that's, um, this is a really, really fine distinction, but like there's, there's like this subtle difference between, uh, kind of your hands in the air and saying, whoa, and kind of having hands in the air on the roller coaster where you're saying we, and you know, like that kind of like moving from like the, the kind of paralyzed, anxiety ridden, angst ridden, like, whoa, to like the we, I mean, I think there actually is, um, there is a joy that can come and a release that can come in this kind of letting go, you know? And I think like, um, I'm not gonna go a whole nother riff here, but I've been thinking about the book of Job so much, uh, again here lately, because I feel like that's so much of what's actually happening there is this idea of like coming to be at home in the chaos and in the wildness of created things where we have this sense of like, hey, you know, we're we're really not in charge, and then and and based on our behavior, based on whether we get it right or get it wrong, there, there's absolutely nothing that is guaranteed. So that's terrifying when you first taste it. But then on the other side of that, um, there is this freedom too. That like, hey, nothing like nothing's guaranteed. So you've got this moment now. So where is where is God in the moment that you're in? Where is love in the moment that you're in? Where is light on the path that you're on, that you're on right here, right now? And um, even if you are a person of prayer, to like to even ask for that, like where where's the light now? Where's the love now? Um, just that because I think that shift in vision, just that clarity of like where is God now? Because I guarantee you, wherever you are, whatever's happening, God is in this place 
with you right here, right now, without a single thing about the context or the environment shifting at all. So, that, yeah, I think that I think that's that's probably what I'd say. Ah, that's awesome. <laughs> I love it. And I, I think before we close, I'd be remiss to uh, uh, to not mention the fact that um, what what spurred this whole conversation on um, is the fact that Adam. Um, against all odds and likelihood ran into you in line for a ride at Disney world. Isn't that the craziest thing at Disney world? I, you know what? That is the, uh, the second time I've been to Disney in my entire life. I was speaking at a church in California. This was obviously just before like the world changed. And in, in this particular category, whatever other things I might disagree with John Piper about, I do believe that that was a sovereignly preordained moment. <laughs> yes ready to get on the star Wars ride and just happen to see each other, man. That was un- like, what are the odds of that? Like, what are the odds? I mean, in that moment, yeah, this one, yeah. Thousands, thousands of people at Disney world. And Adam said, you know, I look over and I'm like, I think that's Jonathan Martin. <laughs> like, what the heck? Out of there, like, I'm telling like, so, like something, some, some kind of special, like Holy ghost synchronicity magic was happening like in that. So I will, I am, I am, I am all, I'm all in on some kind of sovereign preordained thing happening at Disney between me and <laughs> I love I'm, it. I'm all in. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Hey, thank you. Thank you so much. This is, like I said, this was long overdue and, and so much fun. So we'll have to do it again sometime and dig in some other topics and, and, uh, we'll, we'll work on getting Adam out of, uh, uh, semi-retirement. <laughs> Yes, yes. I, I don't know why. Whenever you talk about getting out of retirement, they all have all this professional wrestling imagery somehow. Yes. Like, kind of like, you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> for one more match. And yes, for sure. Absolutely want to have you on my on the Zeitcast for sure. So we got to make that happen. But thank you. It's been an honor. It's been so encouraging. And, and what a great time. This has been awesome. All right. Thank you so much. I sit and wonder at your grace and how it saved a wretch like me. I did the crime, but you did the time, so I could be free. When I think about my shame and all the ways it poisons me, my sin and strife, but your word is life, and now I can see. Thank you.
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.